Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm the executive director of AABP, and we have three guests today. Uh, Dr. Julia Herman from NCBA is going to guest host this edition of Have You Heard, where we're going to be talking about stockmanship, a very important topic for the entire cattle industry. Julia, go ahead. Thank you, Fred. Uh As he mentioned, my name is Dr. Julia Herman. I am the beef cattle specialist veterinarian for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and help, uh, and help manage the beef checkoff funded beef quality assurance program. I'm really excited to have, uh, Dean Fish and Kurt Pate here to join us in this stockmanship discussion. And first off, uh, we'll have a little bit of introduction. So Kurt, let's start with you. Well, I'm Kurt Pate from uh, Rygate, Montana, and I've been working with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association for the past probably 15 years, 10 to 15 years doing stockmanship and stewardship seminars and demonstrations. Excellent. How about you, Dean? Yeah, I um, I, I work down here in the um, southern part of the um, Arizona here. I ranch down here and I um, do some work with uh, NCBA with the Beef Quality Assurance um, stockmanship and stewardship program and have been a big fan for a long time and I'm fortunate to get to continue doing it. It's been a great teamwork uh, approach with with Kurt, Dean, and also Dr. Ron Gill, who helps with our stockmanship and stewardship program here at NCBA. Uh, the first thing we're going to start off with is what is stockmanship? Uh, there are a lot of definitions out on uh, various websites that you find, and it includes anything from animal husbandry to stewardship. Uh, what is uh, what are your definitions of of stockmanship, uh, Dean? Let's start with you. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, and I'll let Kurt clean this one up because he does such a nice job. Um, I, you know, I think stockmanship as 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 it evolves, it, it continually changes for me, but. When I think of stockmanship, I think of someone who has a keen interest and a desire to handle livestock and interact with livestock and the people that work with livestock in a um, lower stress manner or, or in what I would consider a better way. And so that includes everything from, you know, moving livestock and, and handling them to thinking about even a large from a larger picture of what the end product that we're producing is and all of the things that we do to contribute to either making that product better or or at least not making it worse. That's fantastic to to start with. How about uh, anything to add, Kurt? Oh, I got lots to add. <laughs> I uh, that's stockmanship to me is a, is a very 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 important word, and I don't take it lightly. And I think it's gotten thrown around a little bit too much. First of all, when we talk stockmen, that's plural. That doesn't mean just cattle. That means all livestock. And so a cattleman is what Dean's talking about as far as we're talking about the cattle business, having all aspects. The more aspects of the cattle industry that you understand to make profit and do things right, the better cattleman you are. But when we put the word stockman out there, then we can add a horse, we can add sheep, goats, pigs, whatever. So a good stockman to me is somebody that understands all livestock, cattle, whatever, and then uh, from in all, all aspects of it, from handling to uh, grazing to to uh, even a little bit of marketing. Because if you're a good sorter and you can put cattle together well, you're a good stockman can do that, and he becomes a better marketer. So, to me, this, the word stockman is such a 
uh, a big thing. And, you know, there's all different parts of the cattle industry, too. A good stockman in the dairy industry, a good stockman in the stalker industry, uh, the cow-calf. And I just been in the bucking bull world for a while, and there's good stockmen there. So that word, we could talk for two days about stockmen and stockmanship. Oh, that's a really great point. I think uh, when we have terms like stock, you know, stockman or stockmanship, uh, sometimes people try to, you know, put it into a vacuum and it's not, it doesn't stand alone. It does overlap with a lot of our other, uh, a lot of the other characteristics of raising livestock. And so I think that's a, a great way to start the conversation. Uh there are in the cattle industry, uh, we'll obviously focus on that, uh, for, yep. <laughs> for most, for most of the, the conversation. But, um, what are some different, uh, schools of thought and, uh, how is, how have those schools of thought influenced? Well, I, I mean, cattle training or cattle handling behavior and also, uh, equipment design. Um, it's a big question, but I think we could piece it together. Well, to we'll, me, we'll stick with I'll you, Kurt. Start out, and so, you know, I've been involved in the horse world a lot. And, and you know, ho- people are always thinking about training horses and working with horses. In the cattle industry, we've been a little late coming to that. A lot of, some folks have been that way. But as a major industry, we have, uh, we've now, in the last 15 years, we've really made a focus on becoming better at training and handling our cattle in a way that is, you know, fits the industry people and all that you know temple grandin our dean and i's hero she has been so great in temple and uh, designing corral systems and that's become a great big part of it so so now i think we've evolved in our industry overall used to be a lot of people that did it but now the whole major industry is thinking about working with their animals in a way that is good for production and for the whole chain of the industry and that's that's been a major shift and I think we just keep getting better and better at it. That's great. Yeah, t- uh, Dr. Grandin has been uh, an influence in many areas of the cattle industry, but especially with animal behavior and understanding it better. Uh, what about you, Dean? Uh, what thoughts do you have? You know, I, I, I think, yeah, Kurt put it really well. And I, th- I think kind of building on that, um, you know, Temple Grandin, of course, has been a, a huge influence on, you know, the stuff that, that she's written and, and shown. We've been fortunate enough to be able to spend a little time with her and, and hear her present and, and see some of the stuff that she's done. I think another one, I, I kind of came a little bit later to to um, to define stockmanship um, through my association with with Kurt and Ron at um, the NCBA cattle industry conference and and kind of start picking that up and and kurt was kind enough to lend me some videos of of a lot of the work that bud williams did and so that really provided a really good foundation i think for a lot of the different movements and and things and then starting to integrate there's a lot of different resources and a lot of different people out there that have different ideas and so taking bits and pieces and things that work from from each of those is 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 really neat you know and i think it's all based on where you're at and, and, you know, not only in your own personal, you know, learning curve, but, you know, what, what do you have for facilities? What kind of livestock do you have? Um, and taking those bits and pieces that kind of work and trying them and, and building on the good ones and trying to eliminate the bad habits. 
Oh, that that brings up uh, that brings up an interesting point because I think uh, we have experts in the field. In I mean, in many fields, and we think that you know their uh, definition of stockmanship or definition of animal behavior is is the one and done, and that's the only one you you listen to. But we have so many. Uh, talented professionals in the stockmanship realm. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Colorado State grad, so I, I took that livestock handling class from Temple Brandon. When I went into vet school, I was uh, fortunate to follow Dr. Tom Knopfsinger and talk, Dr. Kip Lucas-Savage and learn about uh, their stockmanship uh, teachings, uh, which is where I uh, got to meet Kurt for the first time, uh, which was great. And now uh, I mean, you can always evolve to who you're learning from, but take, uh, I really liked what you said, Dean, take bits and pieces from those multiple sources and really figure out what works for you, what's, what works for your system. Um, so, uh, let's, I, I'm curious on, uh, I guess just a, a brief history of how, uh, you, you talked about it earlier about how both of you got interested in stockmanship and then what are some, uh, ways that you both um, continue to hone your craft and to to get better. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good one. So I I grew up on a cow calf, small cow calf ranch, and um, in southern Arizona. And one of the things my dad was pretty progressive, and he was um, using artificial insemination in the seventies, and you know trying you know some embryo work and so forth. And so one of my jobs as a as a young person was to go out and check heats. And so, you know, checking heats and a bunch of cows. And so you got to study a lot of animal behavior, you know, like how they interacted with each other. Then once something was in heat, um, this was before we really used a lot of synchronization. Um, you had to sort out that cow and calf or, you know, a couple cows and calves. And if they got out of the trot when you took them up to where they were going to get bred later, um, you got in a lot of trouble. So my training became <laughs> was was pretty early and there's maybe a lot of pressure um, sometimes in that training. And um, so there were a lot of a lot of those fundamentals that that I was able to kind of pick up from just that experience and being able, being and working around, um, you know, my father. My father was, didn't grow up in the, in the livestock industry. He came to it through high school, through FFA. And so he had kind of a little different perspective. You know, he didn't grow up on a big outfit or, or any of that stuff. And so it was it was really neat to, you know, again, in hindsight now to kind of see how he was maybe a little different than some of the people around him and, and some of the things that he valued and honored and some of his mentors that instilled that. And so that that kind of got me on the road. But I really, you know, as as a as a young person, I really didn't pay much attention. We just did it. Right. And. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I met Ron and Kurt and um, really started getting excited about what they were doing, seeing the demonstrations that that they did and seeing the little the ways that they were able to affect change in a group of um, cattle, um, you know, over a two day period. And so that really kind of, you know, instilled in me kind of a craving to kind of learn more and, and, and do better. And so I'm pretty far down on the continuum as far as where I, where I want and need to be as far as being a, being a, an, a, an excellent stockman. But I think that if you have a desire and, and seek out those resources and, and keep trying and keep working at it, I, I think you, you eventually start getting to where you're least acceptable. <laughs> Well, you're, you're more than acceptable, Dean. So uh, I, I was real fortunate 
my grandfathers both had a big influence on me. And one of my grandfathers was a cow trader and a horse trader. And I grew up with him and lived with him a lot. And uh, so we were, we were buying and selling cattle and going to sales. He was also hauled cattle with a short truck. And so we, we got to work a lot of cattle and then he was a horse trader. So I got to ride a lot of horses, uh, but he wasn't a cowboy and he, he didn't really even like cowboys. And that, that was a good thing. And then uh, my other grandfather ran a huge feed yard in uh, Roberts, Idaho, Golden Valley pack or was and had a slaughterhouse and everything. And uh, so I'd go there in the summers and work in the feedlot. And they were real uh, rodeo people. So, uh, so I, then I got involved in rodeos and horse training and started learning through some clinics with horsemanship. And, and then, uh, that led me to the whole cattle thing. And, and so I kind of knew how to, uh, learn how to progress from all the horse stuff I was trying to learn. So the cattle stuff, it tied right in with it. And then, uh, the other real advantage I had or the real lucky part of my world is I've really, through my life, working on different ranches and different outfits, I've got to work with some excellent stockmen and cattlemen. And that, to me, you know, clinics and reading and videos and all that's great. But getting out in the middle of pasture or pens is with really, really good stockmen and working with some good crews. You can see the bad and the good and what works and what doesn't. And I've just, I don't know how I've got so lucky with getting around all the good stockmen I've been around. And just this last month i've been down in uh oklahoma at dnh cattle company with my daughter and uh her partner and he's one of the best bull men in the country as far as bucking bulls and so i just ever i just it just keeps going where i just keep getting to be around good people and learn how to be a good stockman oh, i love i love those stories just knowing uh that you can learn from anybody that you're that you come across in whatever path you you might be going uh it reminds me of one of the uh, dairy dairyman I used to work with and uh, Tomas was uh, I called him a ninja because he was so quiet and he could go he could go through you know a pen of dairy cattle as quiet as can be and treat those animals without those animals even knowing that they were being treated like he was uh, it was just really wonderful to work to work with him and watch that and I think that uh, participation piece Kurt is really important and I think you highlighted that and yeah, we can, we can learn a lot in the classroom, but yeah, going out and applying those skills and yeah, experimenting, seeing what works, what doesn't work for that particular group of animals is, uh, is really important and a great learning experience. So. Yeah. And you mentioned Dr. Tom, uh, Julia, you met your Dr. Tom. Geez, he's been one of my real mentors in this, not only, you know, as a teacher of stockmanship, but a people person and how to get people to make to change. I don't think there's anybody out there better than Tom getting people excited about stockmanship. Yes, I think uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, it, enacting behavior change in your workers, I think, is probably the biggest challenge we have uh, to improving stockmanship skills across um, across all of our operations, regardless of the sector. Uh, I think, um, I guess, when we're talking about, I guess training our training our workers and acting that behavior change why uh what are some reasons when when you are doing your training when you two are doing your training uh how do you get across why stockmanship is important i mean we in the beef, in the beef quality assurance program we talk a lot about understanding that cattle behavior uh it makes it easier on the cattle uh but what are some really 
um, I guess, what are some tips that you provide when you are uh, doing that training? Well, to me, the first thing you have to do before anything else, you know, a lot of times we go to these places, whether it be a dairy, a feedlot, or whatever, we have crews that are really not, you're, they're being told to do this. And the first thing we do is we take a whole bunch of stuff away from them. So the first thing I want to do is replace it with something and get their confidence. And so when we come to tell people, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do it, you better have something that you can replace it with. And whoever's doing it had better have the skills to show them how to replace that stuff. And that's the biggest challenge. You know, a lot of the horseback culture that I get to work with are really good at putting on a lot of pressure, whether it be with a hot shot or a rope or a horse or whatever. And the first thing we got to teach them is you don't have to have that all that pressure to get the same results. And you can get better results if you use some pressure and have a good release of that pressure and that's that's the thing so many people don't understand but if you can't do it they're going to look at it and they're going to say hey this is this is really nice but i'm going to do what i do tomorrow but if you can impress them one thing i always try to do when i go to a feed yard is i'll i'll uh, get on a horse and i'll put i've never been on the horse and i'll put his front foot on the ground and walk his hind feet all the way around without moving that foot and that gets their attention at least they say well at least this guy can do something and you got to do something to get their attention where they don't think you're just there to, whether, I don't care where you're at, where you're there just to tell them what they're doing wrong and not have, have an answer to do something right. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. That's well put, Kurt. And I think it's also, it also kind of goes back to leadership because, you know, they can come to, you know, two day clinic or one day clinic or, or spend that and see those tools and stuff. But you've got to have that leadership back at home that whether that's within that individual that wants to, um, embrace some of this stuff and, and incorporate some of this stuff, or um, the person that's leading that crew has to, you know, make that make that a priority. You know, I know in the past, in, in some of my working stuff, um, I probably wasn't as good a defender of my cows as I should have been, and they were probably handled when I'm working with a crew sometimes the way I didn't want them to, and so now I've, I've you know, become assertive enough to, you know, hey, these are my cows. These are how we're going to handle them. And so setting that expectation and that and that leadership. So so, again, that follow up to what Kurt's talking about and continuing that at home is is just as important. Oh, that's really that's really a great point. Uh, having finding somebody with that leadership uh, so that they can show other people what to do. Uh, Depending on, I mean, if you're in a dairy, a feedlot, cow-calf operation, having that one person who's willing to take that, willing to take that responsibility to, one, continue to be better and continue to work on their own handling skills, but then uh, be able to demonstrate those skills to other people and build on that training. Uh, in the Previous to being at NCDA, I was at the vet school at CSU. And uh, when we get on rotations um, with on the dairy field service, we have a lot of students who don't have a lot of uh, experience working with cattle at all. And so really being intentional on explaining how, you know, how cattle are a prey species, how they respond to various behaviors, um, how to you know, position your body with that, that point of balance, like we talk about in BQA, uh, to help move those animals and the skills, if you take, if you take time to teach them, they're 
uh, at least the foundation principles are not difficult to learn. Uh, but what, um, if you, I mean, I, I guess I'm going towards training opportunities on our other cattle sectors because we have a lot of people coming onto feed yards, even, even stocker operations and cow calf and a lot of our dairies, uh, where people don't, they aren't connected to livestock. They aren't connected to understanding what that animal behavior is. So, um, what are some ways, uh, whether it's on foot, on horse, on pickup, what are some, uh, what are some tips that you have when, when people are undertaking that training opportunity on their operations? Um, yeah, I, I think that's uh, maybe an advantage, Julia. Sometimes when you have somebody that has no previous experience, I, I just went to help some folks at a ranch and they had, they, they knew nothing and they are becoming, we've worked some cattle a few times and they're becoming very, very good just by kind of going and being a part of it. They had no bad habits to start out with. That's one, one thing, one way to look at it. That's the positive part of it. Now, a lot of times, safety-wise, people don't even know how much danger they're in because they've never been in that situation. So you've really got to take care of those people and not get them in a situation where they can get hurt. As far as the basics, so I'll tell you a little story. Dean and I are part of, uh, oh, probably 10, 15 years ago, I was down in Florida doing a demonstration with Temple. And I sorted these calves up without telling anybody what I was doing. And when I got done, I had them all sorted and it really didn't, look like I was doing that much in Temple after I was done she was really mad at me because I didn't tell people what I was doing before I did it and that was 15 years ago well we were sitting in Durango Colorado one of the stockmanship stewardship events and I asked Temple Dean and Temple and I were visiting and I asked Temple I said what could we do to improve the way we present and she got she got right after me says you've got to get to the basics she says you're doing all this touchy-feely stuff like sorting cattle that I did 10 years ago you're sorting cattle and not telling people about it. Nobody got anything out of that. <laughs> she said, you got to keep back to the basics. So that was a good lesson for me. And I, uh, I think it's so funny how she doesn't ever forget. But I believe you got to get to the basics. But then we, Dean and I, we've been talking and discussing a lot about feel, timing, and balance. And that's what separates a stockman. As we, so you get the basics, the, the flight zone, the balance point, all those things. You get the safety basics. But then what creates this, the stockman? And the different kinds of stockmen we are, are feel, timing, and balance. And that's something that came from the horse world that I learned that term. But, but there's a lot to talk about with feel, timing, and balance when you add it to the basics. And that's a good way to teach, I think. Yeah, I think kind of adding to that, Julia, I think is, it's, it's, I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I live about an hour and a half away from our land grant university and, um, they bring their beef production class. And so we'll, we'll get a lot of um, animal science and vet science, pre-vet science students that come down. And, and so I put them through a, a morning of working livestock. And for a lot of them, it's their first time that they've actually had the chance to, you know, interact with livestock. And so, you know, as Kurt says, kind of putting those basics in there as far as safety for them to understand that, you know, these are, these are animals that, that are prey animals and, you know, they've got a fight or flight instinct. And if you, if you're not, careful and not paying attention, you can get hurt. Um, but, but just as rewarding is seeing them actually going through and helping them move through, you know, the, the shoot system and tagging and tattooing and, and, um, you know, vaccinating and, and getting hands on practice. And it, like I said, it may be the first time, but setting those fundamentals right at the beginning are really, really important. 
I like that going back to the basics and even the the field timing and balance. I think that's uh, definitely something I'm going to do a little more research or at least follow you and follow both Kurt and Dean and figure out uh, how I can be doing better on that. And Dean, well, I would uh, love. Oh, Julia, let's let's talk about those for just a second. If you got if we got a minute, let's do it. All right. So feel. So feel is being able to read the livestock and understand what kind of pressure they need. If it's, if we need to use a driving pressure, a drawing pressure, take the pressure off or what that being able to read the animals and apply the pressure that they're telling you, that's feel timing. That's when to apply the pressure and to take it off and, and when to, you know, be still or move or whatever. The timing is real, real important. And then the balance, that is uh, the whole picture of uh, using all the different pressures we know about and the releases of pressure in a balance where we don't use one too much or one too little or whatever. So field timing balance, I think that's what really makes a good cattle handler different. And it's all our, it's kind of like our uh, fingerprint of our stockmanship is our field timing and balances. Nobody's the same. And that's what I love about watching different stockmen and uh, seeing, you know, people that have no experience, how quickly they can create their field timing and balance. And then I, I was just working with some guys and I'll never go back. I just had to, I just ended up there and they, they've been working cattle for a long time and all they knew was about pressure. And it was just sad to me how terrible they were and how good they thought they were. So they had no field timing imbalance. They just had pressure and lots of it. Oh, that's uh, explaining the field timing and balance. Uh, and then watching, watching people who are good stockmen and then people who are learning and you see them, like you can see it when they get it. And when you're watching good stockmen, I mean, at least when I've seen good, I mean, I, I, this is how I feel when I'm watching you two handle cattle, but it's, it's almost like a dance and, uh, you know, the cattle and you are your partners in this dance and you are watching them move in the pasture, move in the cat and move in the pen. And it's really beautiful to watch when you do see good, good stockmen. Uh, I, um, you mentioned, uh, when you're talking about all the different pressures, uh, I mean, within our different sectors, you have different pressures, uh, happening to these cattle. So what, uh, Let's dive into some of the different sectors in the cattle industry and uh, I guess talk about how stockmanship applies. I mean, um, you, Kurt, already mentioned, you know, the bucking bulls. That's a whole different area that I don't have a lot of experience in. But, uh, I mean, I see a lot of our stockmanship principles being applied at the cow-calf level, the feedlot level, and even the stalker level. Um, and then obviously the dairy example that I provided earlier. But, uh I guess pick one of those sectors and uh, let's talk about the different pressures that are different pressures and opportunities that we have in each sector with stockmanship. Go ahead, Dean. We'll go. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll start this one. And I'm most familiar with the cow calf sector. I've, I certainly haven't worked in the other sectors um, very much, but um, you know, I think the principles are the same, but the cow calf sector I think is, is so intriguing because that's where, Again, you're putting the fundamentals in those in those in those cattle, you know, and so starting out with, you know, we we've done some demonstrations on gathering pairs and gathering cattle, you know, and and and, um, 
there's plenty of, of good YouTube stuff out there and, and resources out there that talk about, you know, how to properly gather pairs and get them in the right mindset. And then how do you settle them when you put them back out? And then when you're separating calves at branding or separating at weaning, there's a lot of really, really fundamental stuff that you can learn and, and really become a good stockman by, by studying those things and how those animals, how those animals interact. And I think probably the biggest opportunity that, that, at least in my world, I see in the cow-calf side is is probably during weaning on those calves because again we're setting those calves up for um, the rest of their lives. And you know when I when I wean those calves, you know I sure like to get around them on foot. I like to get around them on horseback. I'll take my little buggy in there, um, you know, and kind of you know get them used to some of those different types of pressures. And also, you know, I think. My friend Todd McCartney, our friend Todd McCartney talks about budding them. So like we get a new set of calves in for a demonstration, we'll butt them around for a little bit to kind of get them used to that pressure and that release of pressure and, and let them know that it's not a scary deal and this is what we're asking them to do. Um, the other opportunity I see in a cow-calf deal is, and and I'm pretty fortunate, I've got a set of pens kind of in the middle of, of, of the ramp that I lease here. And whenever I bring those body replacement heifers through, I can work them right through that system without catching them, without doing anything. And so I'm kind of helping to train those. And as those generations um, continue to stack up, I'll hopefully have a better trained cow herd that, that I can work with. So, so the cow calf sector to me is, is one that I work with the most and have the most opportunity to practice stuff. And um, those are some of the, kind of the fun things that I, that, that I get to do and trying to get better at. Oh, that's fantastic. How about, uh, Kurt, can you talk a little bit about the, maybe the stalker and feedlot sectors? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start out with, uh, cattle either be one of you, because of your presence or pressure, cattle either want to be with you or away from you. And so for me, it's real important to get the cattle where they like my pressure, my presence, and I want them to be with me and they can kind of look to me for support rather than trying to get away from me and my pressure. So whatever segment I'm in, I try to read the animals to figure that out and do the things that creates that. I try to use a lot of a drawing pressure where cattle want to get to me. And with stalkers, see, I think uh, I think the other thing we have to understand about all these different segments is of the industry are the athletic ability of the animals. If the cattle, like a dairy cow, is much different than a stalker yearling or a calf because the dairy cow is very unathletic so they can't get away from your pressure so you can treat them differently but you can still create a lot of problems with stalker cattle they're all pretty athletic young they're like a bunch of 20 or they're like they're like the guys at the rodeo the nfr right now they're pretty athletic I, I don't think i could make it but they're doing just fine so these stalker cattle they're pretty athletic and if you use the wrong kind of pressure they're going to use that athletic ability to get away from you and they're going to create this, you're going to create this fear in there. So I really, really, when I'm working around stalker cattle, I use a lot of flat angles and try to draw those animals' mind to me. And then when, they, when they're thinking about me, I try to do something that they like and they don't, they're not afraid of. And I try to get that attitude where they feel like I'm a good pressure rather than a bad pressure. So the way I move, the way I act, the way I talk, all those things, when you're working with cattle that are flighty or more athletic, you have to change your pressure to accommodate them. The other thing is, is I want those cattle to see me with two eyes and be drawn to me and want to come to me. 
And that's the way I start settling those cattle. So with stalker cattle, I work on their side, try to get beside them as much as I can and work forward, try to get up. So I'm on one eye and I move forward. So they turn to look at me with two eyes. And when they get to where they're comfortable with me, then I'll take the pressure off just a little bit. And then if you can't believe how quickly you can get those cattle where they understand that you're a good pressure. And then you can go to work training them to do whatever you need them to do. Go to the feed bunk, uh, put their head down and graze or whatever. But until you get their trust and get them to where they think you're a good thing and not something you have to be away from you. Then when you get that happening, then you can go to work and start training the animals to do what you'd like them to do. And what I want them to do is put their head down and eat, whether it be in a feed bunk or uh, out in the pasture or whatever, and feel comfortable in a bunch. And uh, when the human or humans approach them, I don't want them to feel like they have to run away, but I, I want them to look up and see what we need to do. And that, that might be kind of far out there, but that's what a good stockman does, I think, with stalker cattle. Oh, that's great. And I think you can apply a lot of that to, I mean, to the feed yard cattle as well. And remembering that you don't, that one technique for one pen of cattle is not going to be the same as another pen of cattle because uh, they might be handled different. Uh, I'm going to pull in our resident dairy vet. So Fred, (laughs) what are some uh, pressures that you see uh, in the dairy uh, that you saw in the dairy industry where stockmanship comes, uh, becomes really important? Well, I think, Julia, that, uh, you know, when we, when we look at the differences between the dairy and the beef industry, you know, Kurt's comment there about do the cattle like to be with you or away from you. I, I remember my mentor, Dr. Kent Hoblett, when I was in veterinary school, when he would walk through a pen of cows, um, if, if the way those cows just reacted to you being in the pen, uh, said a lot about how those animals are handled outside of your presence, you know, dairy, uh, cows are, are for the most part pretty tame, uh, compared to, uh, you know, uh, other situations sometimes, adult cows. And then I, I really appreciate Kurt's comment there about, <clears throat> uh, you know, just, just the mere size of the udder on these animals, uh, and how that can, can impact, you know, how we're going to move them. Uh, and then I think the other thing that we need to be cognizant of is that we're moving adult cows, at least, uh, that are in the milk strings two to three times a day. And so stockmanship in the dairy industry is, is very important. And, uh, when it goes, uh, awry, you know, what we see often as veterinarians is, is injured animals, uh, because, uh, for the most part, they're on concrete when we're moving them into the parlor. Uh, you know, that's a, uh, an area where if we're not, you know, incorporating good stockmanship principles that we can have injured animals, they can slip, they can fall, they can split out. Uh, and so I think we need to really be, uh, cognizant of that. And then, uh, I think the other thing, the one thing that I think, uh, from working with dairy, uh, that I have learned more than anything else is, is that you really need to have uh, a lot of patience. You need to, you know, as, as Kurt said, um, with, with, uh, you know, field timing and balance, uh, they don't need constant pressure, uh, especially when they're trained to move to the parlor. Uh, so I think that we really need to, uh, allow those animals to move into the holding pen and then again into the parlor on their own. 
And if they're not, that is an indication that something's uh, gone awry. Uh, and then the last two things I'll say is, number one, I think we have to look at how those animals move from the holding pen into the parlor uh, using a, a, a gate, you know, not having that electric on uh, to create, you know, a learned diversion. I have seen that where that, uh, that push gate is used improperly, uh, and it really creates a learned diversion and, and makes those animals extremely nervous in the holding pen. Uh, and then secondly, uh, probably the biggest opportunity for veterinarians to, uh, look at stockmanship on client operations is how they move those first calf heifers into the, uh, holding pen and then into the parlor. Uh, you know, we know that, uh, the farm program now, uh, does, uh, look at broken tails and that is a, that is an indication of poor handling uh, if we have broken tails. And that's why that is in place in the farm program. So I think, uh, that's an opportunity, uh, for veterinarians to evaluate, uh, on behalf of the owners, uh, the employee, uh, uh, stockmanship principles. And then the other one is moving calves. You know, we've seen videos that have been released of calves being moved inappropriately. Uh, but, but making sure they're handling those calves properly, not by the ear, not by the tail, uh, and moving them properly, uh, is, is important. Fred, that's great. You know, I think I've learned more in the dairy industry as far as, uh, reading cattle. Cause I think so many people think a dairy cow is just, you know, you just pressure and, and, but I think from what I've seen, there is more lost production in the dairy industry than anywhere, probably because of unhappy or uncontent uh, cows. And we don't see it. Like, I think I've heard that sheep, you know, everybody says a sheep is either alive or dead, but they hide their sickness and they hide their emotions. So well, you don't even know they're sick until they're, they're really, really sick. And I think dairy cows, I think so many cows in the dairy are so upset with the way they're being handled and treated that I don't think they're getting the production that we could out of them. Uh, you go to a dairy that, that really, really handles their cattle right and they've really, their crews are really, really caring about the animals. It's just so much different than when you go to somewhere where there's no feel for the animals. And I think the dairy industry is a great place to learn how to read emotions on cattle. Because you're, you're right there with them. You see them every day. It's it's an incredible place. I love comparing across sectors because I think we can we can take those lessons that we learn in the dairy industry and apply it to our other sectors in the beef industry and vice versa. Uh, I mean, I know our, our cattle, uh, they have different functions based on what sector they're in, but cattle are cattle. And I think we can take those those lessons and apply it uh, across across all the different sectors. When you're learning you know, teaching our workers to understand those cattle and read those cattle, uh, again, regardless of sector, I think there are a lot of training opportunities. Uh, and Fred mentioned some very specific ones. I mean, it's, you know, those first calf heifers, the first time they go through that parlor uh, in the feedlot world, you know, or even I guess that can even go down to the cow calf, cow calf level. The first time those calves go through that chute you want it to be a positive experience. You want to imprint that positive experience because again, uh, as Dean mentioned earlier, you're setting them up for the rest of their life and you want them to have that positive experience at first. And I think that that helps uh, any of the people who are handling that animal down, down the, I guess, down the supply chain, if you will. 
um, what, uh, what type of training opportunities, uh, do you see or have you recommended to people, um, in addition, and then any resources and places to practice, uh, these stockmanship skills? Dean, we'll start with you. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's been so exciting for me. I'm kind of in a, in a generation where, you know, grew up without the internet and then in college that kind of came around. And so that internet has really leveled the playing field for a lot of people. And as, you know, as, whereas before a lot of knowledge was contained just in either clinics or at universities or in libraries, you know, now that knowledge is, you know, available 24 seven, you know, worldwide. And so, um, I think there's a lot of um, really, really good resources out there. There's a lot of good um, clinicians that are doing stuff. Of course, you know, I'm going to um, lobby that our stockmanship and stewardship program when we do these regional tours um, around the country are really, really good opportunities because the local um, organizers put on relevant topics for that area, you know, in addition to the cattle handling and stockmanship training that that we do there. That's that's a great one. Um a lot of YouTube stuff out there, a lot of um, good stuff out there. I think two two um, people that I follow pretty closely um, have been Temple Grandin. You know, she's got a great website with a lot of different designs and a lot of stuff that she, you know, offers for free just for the betterment of the livestock industry. She's got some great books out there. And, of course, um, you know, Bud Williams stuff is, is really, really, really neat. And, um, you know, Kurt won't mention it probably, but I'd love, love the scoop loop that he does on his website. Um, there's so many things in there that you pick up little pieces on every single one and interesting mm-hmm. stories and, and so forth. So those are kind of my three main go-tos there. Well, I'll tell a little story. I just had a couple of weeks ago when I was in Arkansas helping these folks that haven't been, and uh, we were processing some calves through the chute and there was uh they had just uh, the, the week before I was there, they just stacked them all in the lead up to the chute and then, and what happens with baby calves when you put them all in the chute, the first time they've ever been in going through a lead up from the bud box or the, the uh, tub, they all turn around and want to come back because the chute's too wide. So I, I said, well, let's do this. Let's put them all in single file. You guys are going to learn how to take a calf up, take it all the way to the chute. It'll never have a naval experience. You're going to keep it going straight. It's going to go in. It's going to get it. And then the first time through the chute, he's not going to about think about turning around for the rest of his life. And so we did that and everybody learned. And I think that's a great way. If you're going to put calves through a calf table or a shoot system, take them single file the first time and do it right and use the right amount of pressure. And then that calf is good for the rest of his life. I think that's Dean was, what Dean was talking about earlier there. So there's all kinds of real world. The, going back to the dairy, I think the uh, cult starting that I've done in my life, I've done a lot of that. I've, uh, I've got some heifers ready for the parlor before help some people and I use the three-point contact and some of the same things I would use starting a colt getting a heifer through the parlor the first time so I think there's a lot of things that we can do when animals are first being exposed to something if we if we slow down and do them real real right the first time and getting the experience to the animal that's going to stay with them the rest of their life I think that's what we really need to do and those are some examples of uh things you can do with stockmanship that will change the way you work and the way the animals work for the rest of their life. Oh, that's great. Uh, I, and I know uh, Fred mentioned the dairy farm program and they have a great stockmanship 
page on their website with lots of videos in, in both English and Spanish that are that are really helpful. Uh, I am going to plug our beef quality assurance program. We really focus on that animal behavior and uh, stockmanship uh, piece to raising cattle. Uh, it improves uh, it improves animal welfare. It can improve their productivity. It improves uh, human safety in addition to the animal safety. So I think uh, having that proper stockmanship training and application is important across uh, across the operation. Uh, you know, with BQA, we really focus on continuous improvement on the operation, uh, which, I mean, I think we can all, we all agree that we can improve, we can continue to improve. We're never going to be the best that we can be at everything. Uh, and stockmanship is a great example of always practicing and challenging yourself to improve because again, it, it, benefits the animals uh, and their well-being, uh, but it also benefits the caretaker. So um, do either of you have any, uh, any closing thoughts about us, uh, about stockmanship? Well, you mentioned BQA, Julia, and uh, BQA has evolved from, you know, placement of uh, injection sites and now stockmanship is a big, big part of BQA. So beef quality assurance kind of takes in everything. And, and I'm really, really happy that, uh, that cattle handling has become such a big part of the BQA program. But now I think the next step that we have to go, you know, we're also focused on cattle handling. But uh, what we really need to focus on in the future is is the the whole big picture of everything that BQA encompasses on. And that's what, you know, we're talking about stockmanship here. To me, BQA, Beef Quality Assurance, is kind of a modern term for being a good stockman. And that's, uh, I think that's a great thing. And it's what we've done with BQA and cattle handling seminars that we've got now. It's, it's we're, we're putting into words and into a learning form what people didn't know how to explain and talk about my father and grandfather and Dean's father. They didn't know how to tell us those things. And now what we're Dean and I's job, your job, Fred's job is to explain things in a way that we can spread the word and help this knowledge exponentially increase much faster than it has in the past. And we're getting to, we're, we're raising the average of the stockman. You know, it used to be that there was uh, one or two real, real exceptional stockmen, quite a few average, and then we had some real sorry ones. I think that average is coming up because of BQA and stockmanship and stewardship and people teaching how to be better cattle handlers. Yeah, that's well put, Kurt, and you kind of stole mine. I was going to also mention another good resource is becoming BQA certified. I think there's a, the online program has some really good modules, both in English and Spanish, um, on the overall um you know, beef quality assurance program, but, um, you know, including the livestock transportation modules and, and like I said, all that stuff's available in Spanish too, which is important because a lot of our people that are working in this industry, um, will, would appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll echo what you said, Kurt. I, I'm, I'm excited to see what the future is. We see a lot of young people at these trainings that, you know, are really kind of picking this stuff up. And I think the future is pretty bright for this. Oh, that, uh, you both, you both just warmed my heart on, <laughs> on uh, touting the BQA program and the progress that has been made over the past few decades. Uh, one of the 
one of the new resources that will be coming out in the next few months is a BQA advanced education module specifically on stockmanship. And so I think that'll be another learning tool that are uh, that anybody who is interested in in learning about stockmanship can go on go onto our website and uh, and check out. I really appreciate both uh, Dean Fish and Kurt Pate for coming in and chatting with us about stockmanship. I always learn something new every time I talk or see these two, uh, and it I, I really appreciate the experience they have and how they're able to to share it with us. Fred, do you have any closing comments? Well, first, Julie, I'd just like to echo and say thank you to uh, you and our guests for uh, addressing this important topic. Uh, you know, I think veterinarians can be involved in this topic on farms with their producers, uh, point them to the resources, uh, uh, both from uh, National Milk and uh, NCBA, uh, the BQA program on stockmanship. And a couple of things that I would just like to revisit from, from listening to all of you talk, and, and that is, number one, we have to be willing to enact a behavior change in workers. I think that we've made some great improvement, uh, but we always can can uh, work towards continual improvement in our industry. And then uh, secondly, uh, be a defender uh, of the cattle. I think uh, not just producers uh, need to be defenders of the cattle, but also the veterinarians. Uh, good stockmanship is just overall good animal care. Uh, and so I would encourage our listeners to uh Notice if those cattle are being handled and managed appropriately, and if not, speak up and, and show them a better way. And if you know how to do that, as Kurt said, uh, you're going to have that expertise and leadership and be able to demonstrate that when you know how to uh, um, uh, handle cattle in an appropriate manner. I uh, want to thank everyone for joining us and for listening. And once again, if you have a suggestion for a podcast topic, you can email have you heard and at aabp.org. And also please check out some of the resources we have in our show notes. Thanks everyone for participating today. <laughs>